Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. At AJ Products, we're dedicated to delivering intelligent solutions tailored for your business needs. Specializing in warehouse and project planning, we bring efficiency and sustainability to the forefront. To elevate your business, visit ajproducts.ie. It's Monday, February the 5th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With devolved government returning to Northern Ireland this weekend and with general elections offering the prospect of political change in both Dublin and London within the next 12 months, the various components of the North, South and East, West political axes which lie at the heart of all these debates on whether constitutional change is likely, possible or even desirable on the island of Ireland are in some flux. Uh, Was Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald correct when she claimed last week that Irish unity was within touching distance? Or is Northern Ireland Secretary Chris Heaton-Harris, who under the terms of the Belfast Agreement is is the person who's designated to decide whether it's time or not for a referendum on the subject, is he closer to the truth when he said he doesn't expect to see unity in his lifetime? The Irish Times, of course, covers these issues extensively in Dublin, London, Belfast, and indeed sometimes in Washington, and will continue to do so, including on this podcast. But it has now launched a new project to bring these various strands together under one roof. And here to tell me all about that is the man responsible for doing that, our Ireland and Britain editor, Mark Hennessy. Mark, you're very welcome. Greetings, you. What's this project called and what's it about? We're calling it Common Ground, uh, which is a title that uh, was the subject of long deliberation because almost any title that you could think of for a project like this would end up offending somebody. And we're trying to bring people into a place where it's a source of rational, sober, serious, unbiased, impartial information about the issues that could play a significant part in all of our lives in the years ahead. We've seen uh, the the way in which uh, these sort of identity debates uh, become become poisonous, most particularly in Brexit uh, in 2016. And we've seen what the damage uh, that can be caused uh, by all of that. So we think that there's a, a great deal of work that we're already doing, but that there's more we can do in terms of exploring the whole issue of identity and relationships, most especially on the island of Ireland, but also in terms of the east-west relationship between both Dublin and London and Belfast and London, and also issues in uh, Britain itself that could impact on us if we see them through the prism uh, of ourselves, and most especially a resurgence of the Scottish independence debate, perhaps uh, at some point in the future. Um, or the way in which English devolution could work. And if it were, if English devolution were to happen, for instance, that would have a downstream effect at a later point on the makeup of a Westminster government. And all of the kind of structures that we've had in politics in uh, many Western societies, all the things that we've taken for granted for so many decades, you can't really be certain about anything anymore. So, you know, there's no point ever saying that um, uh, a, a British government wouldn't do X. We can no longer be certain about what a British government uh, of uh, a EU we don't rec- we don't even uh, are not able to predict will say in the future. 
Now, there's an awful lot there, and we might explore a couple of those threads in a moment, but our listeners will probably be familiar with the fact that we've been running the North and South Project for the last um, year or more in association with, with Aaron's, and that's very much focusing on attitudes North and South to some of yeah. the questions that come within this broader constitutional debate. You're operating with a broader palette here. With, with a broader palette, but, but nevertheless, that provides the main uh, foundation in some ways, because those polls, and they're becoming more layered and more nuanced and more detailed and will continue to to do so over time. They show that interest and opinions are broad but that knowledge on specific issues is very shallow. And at some point in the years ahead we're going to be in a situation where that's no longer going to be uh, good enough. And what we want to try and do, part of what we want to try and do in this project is not just to explore the what and the how when uh, we're talking to people, but the why. Why, why is it that uh, somebody coming from a loyalist background in Larne looks at the world in the way that they do? And uh, we think, or, or somebody from a strongly Republican family in Cork looks at the world in the way that they do. All of those kind of things, they may seem uh, a little esoteric in a way, but if we don't understand why people look at the, the world in the way that they do, we're never going to be able to understand each other. And it doesn't mean that reading a piece like this is going to uh, provoke agreement. In fact, in many ways, it could provoke even more disagreement if you have a better understanding of why somebody has the opinion that they had. But unless we have a foundation where people understand each other better, then we're kind of going nowhere in the years ahead. And that's, uh, uh, that can be taken, uh, you know, pretty much across the piece, politically, culturally, socially, politically. This isn't a dry political project. It's going to reflect all aspects of people's lives because all of those things are, are important in the way in which people uh, see their own world and the way in which they see the possibility of change and the kind of compromises that might be spoken about uh, in the years ahead. Now, you know, th- this is not a United Ireland project. I mean, if we were to make... Okay, our, that's important to state. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Because, I mean, if we were to make our lives simple, we'd simply have just, you know, that's what we would have done. Nice, simple, clean idea. But that would be a disservice both to the subject and to the public at large, because I don't know whether a United Ireland debate uh, or a referendum is coming. Nobody else does. You know, there are certain uh, trends that show us that the possibility of it happening is stronger now than it, uh, it it ever has been in many ways. But that is not to say that it will happen. We, c- we can't be certain about that. But what we can be certain about is that the existence, however vague and uh, and lacking detail uh, the the issue of united ireland and a referendum is that has a consequence in today's politics if people think something could happen even if it's 20 years down the road, even if it's 40 years down the road, that's going to impact on how they view the world today. And those kind of issues that are thrown up by all of that need to be explored in a way that we think common ground can do. So the project, as I say, launched just this weekend. Uh, First couple of articles published on Saturday, I think, in Saturday's newspaper. Mm. What's been published so far and what's the plan ahead? Well, we have a great deal of material afoot. I mean, we're going to be looking uh, more seriously at opinions in Britain uh, towards Northern Ireland, some work afoot there that will be coming down in in the weeks ahead. We have interviews uh, lined up with senior uh, figures who have been influential in Northern Irish life over the last 20 years. They wouldn't necessarily be household names. I won't go into names just here at the moment, but uh, they wouldn't necessarily be household names, but they're nevertheless key figures in the way in which uh, life has developed. And we're hoping... uh, 
to, uh, to, to, to look at all sorts of identity questions. Uh, we're looking at uh, work uh, that has been done in terms of uh, some academic research, which interestingly shows that if you bring people together uh, for a debate about the future, that the first hour of the debate really is primary school stuff. You know, uh, if you're talking about the South, uh, uh, green is good, orange is bad, red, white and blue is even worse. Uh, Then you get into the second hour uh, of a structured debate and you rapidly, very rapidly are at Leaving Cert Standard. And an hour later, you're at Masters in university. So people need a a structure and have proven themselves time and time again that if you put serious issues in front of them and if you put information of a quality nature and an impartial nature in front of them, that the level of sophistication in terms of people's uh, uh, debate uh, is is extremely high. And we have a choice in the years ahead. Uh, You know, we've seen the way in which Brexit worked out. We've seen the way in which social media has become a hugely destructive force and even worse, a deliberately destructive force. And we have a a very similar prospect heading down our tracks in the years to come. So information about this subject, whatever your opinions, and we're not telling you to have an opinion one way or the other, but what we think we can play a role in is creating a forum whereby there will be a greater volume of material that will help to inform people about the future, about future challenges, about future options, and let people go in whatever direction they wish to go thereafter. It's interesting, listening to what you're saying there, and I'm I'm interested in your perspective on this because you're a former um, long-standing news editor in the Irish Times and you were also London editor as well. And one way of looking at this situation, this picture that you're looking to paint, is that you had an appalling conflict in Northern Ireland uh, for 30 years, which was, if not resolved, at least debated significantly by the Belfast Agreement, which is now a quarter of a century in the past, of course. And... Obviously, for people in Northern Ireland, they were confronted on a daily basis with the with the realities of what of what that conflict meant. And then, outside of that, you have people south of the border on the island of Ireland, and people on the island of Great Britain as well. Let's put it that way. Let's not call it the mainland. Um, both of whom are, can be pretty ignorant, or, or ill-informed, or uninformed about about both the historical and current realities of of, of, the, of that situation. Yes, exactly, and and I think it's probably fair to say that people in both the Republic and in uh, Britain know less about Northern Ireland in 2024 than they did in 1998. Uh, we, you know, they, the advent of peace has not necessarily brought a huge level of greater knowledge. And you know, I go up and down to Belfast a lot. You look at the M1 traffic coming south with northern reg cars, uh, most of it is going to Dublin Airport or to IKEA. Um, you go the, into the other direction, you'll see southern reg cars uh, around the Titanic Quarter in Belfast uh, or at the Giants Causeway or five or ten miles either side of the border. But in terms of actually real engagement, that level of cross-border traffic is not hugely different. Uh, from what it was before. Mm. And there used to be an old joke in uh, in Cork when I was growing up uh, that 75% of people from the south, I mean the very south, had never been across the border and 75% of those who had never wanted to go back. And we haven't, you know, hugely got beyond that. There is a partition debate and the partition is a mental one uh, uh, more so uh, in many ways. And it goes across all identities. It's not just a question of 
Southerners not understanding uh, uh, Northern Protestants or Loyalists. In many ways, they, there's an even bigger gulf with Northern Nationalists in terms of understanding them. And, you know, how many uh, Northern students or people who went to college who might be listening to this, uh, who went to Southern colleges, uh, did they get through to the end of the first term without somebody saying, uh, what brought you down here? Or when are you going, uh, when are you leaving Ireland? Or some other phrase like that, that indicated that the person speaking to them didn't regard them as being properly Irish. You know, so all of those kind of identity questions, which might sound esoteric, they're absolutely crucial as to how we look at the world. You know, if you're living in, in Belfast, and if I say, did you see the news last night? Do you take it from that, that I'm referring to the BBC News at 10 or the RTE News at 9? You know, those kind of cultural fixed points tend to indicate how you think about an awful lot of, of other things. And there's a huge volume of material to, uh, to try and explore, um, you know, everything from uh, flags and anthems, uh, from uh, structure, from education, from sport, all of those kind of things. Each of those will tell us something more about each other. And if we don't get to a point where we know more about each other, whatever decisions we make or don't make in the years ahead are going to be based on very poor foundations. And yet the the most significant development in internal Northern Ireland politics, it seems to me, in recent years is not as Mary Lou MacDonald was was hinting at last last week, and as I think may be misreported over the next week by the international media, not an explosion in grow, explosive growth in nationalist sentiment in Northern Ireland. The nationalist vote as a proportion of the overall vote in Northern Ireland has inched up, but nothing, mm. nothing really significantly. What has happened is the unionist vote has gone down mm. and what are generally called the others have increased quite dramatically. So... The space, the common ground, if you will, that Mm. exists in Northern Ireland and maybe is increasing to exist, is among those people who prefer not to overtly identify anyway as one or other of the two traditional camps. Yeah, that is true. Uh, it's undoubtedly true. But equally, it is the people who have strong opinions who are the ones who are most vocal and who help to set the parameters for debate. Isn't I mean, that the, one of the problems with, with the whole thing? Though? Well, no, it is. But but like there is no doubt that Northern nationalists are vastly more confident and self-assured uh, today than, than they've ever been. And sure. it is equally true that people coming from a PUL identity, Protestant Unionist loyalist, are actually the opposite, that they're more insecure uh, and you, you could argue that that insecurity has been, you know, almost a hallmark of unionism. You know, the old story about the, the louder the lambeg, the greater the fears, uh, and that is true. But there are mod- modern iterations of that, where, uh, for reasons of economy, for education, for aspiration, that that community feels more threatened uh, today in many ways uh, than it ever has. Um, so. Uh, whilst that, that middle group, uh, the others, as, as you described them, is growing and will continue to grow, you know, partly uh, helped by secularization and people, you know, uh, falling away from any sort of religious belief uh, and, and all of the rest of that, all of that's going to be important. But that group in the middle has or it hasn't yet got to the, to the point where it is the deciding factor. Now, you know, we don't know where it's going to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years time. I mean, who can tell? Um, you would, ass- at a guess, you would assume that it would be larger, that it would be more influential. But what does still tend to happen at times of crisis that, 
you know, green puts up the flag, orange puts up the flag, and people go into uh, various quarters. And, you know, we've elections to come um, uh, this year that are going to to, to be significant uh, and in terms of how uh, people will identify themselves. So, you know, does somebody who sees themselves as other stay as other when they go in finally to... Uh, vote uh, in in a polling station, or does it's like the old joke? Are you a Catholic other or a Protestant other? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that issue of identity still has um, uh, still comes back to to haunt the place, and and probably will for a very long time to come. At AJ Products, we're dedicated to delivering intelligent solutions tailored exclusively for your business needs, spanning offices, warehouses, industries, workshops, schools, and public spaces. Specialising in warehouse and project planning, we bring efficiency and sustainability to the forefront. Our offerings include versatile storage solutions and comprehensive office project design and implementation. With over 45 years of experience, we stand as your trusted partner in smart B2B solutions. To explore all we have to offer, visit ajproducts.ie and elevate your business with AJ Products. You mentioned what what happens in moments of crisis. And in the United Kingdom as a whole, there have been two major events. Both could be characterised as crises, I I suppose, over the last decade or so. so, And you've had the opportunity to observe observe both of them. One was Brexit, obviously, and the departure of of the United Kingdom from from the European Union. Uh, The other one was the, the Scottish referendum which at one point looked as if it was quite possible that it would pass. So both of those really asked serious questions about the nature of the United Kingdom, which is a very important part of this discussion. They did, and and it is a huge part of of what Common Ground is going to be about because of the way, not so much because of the issue itself, but rather with us looking at how it could impact on us in a purely selfish way. I I, I did cover uh, the Scottish referendum, as you said, and I mean, I have some very keen memories. I remember sharing a taxi with Tom Bradby, the ITN uh, News at 10 presenter. We were at the the NATO summit of all places in in Newport in Wales, and the parking for press was miles away, so we were getting a taxi back there. And this was about 10, 12 days away from uh, the referendum. And Tom had just begun to understand that there was actually a real and present threat to the existence of the union. And like so many people in metropolitan media in Britain, that hadn't been part of their their, their, their worldview. And part of it, you could say, is bias or whatever. I don't think it was necessarily bias. Um, uh, when I was in London, we the Irish Times spent a huge amount of time Uh, in uh, Scotland. And there are times in debates like that where you're learning even when you don't know that you're learning. You know, I mean, I I remember one of the the moments I had in Sutherland uh, in a particular place where there were two motor factors uh, operations within a few miles of each other. And one of them had been branded as Remain in the local uh, discussion and the other had been branded uh, in favour of Scottish independence. And that had a real and consequential impact on where people chose to spend their money. You could mm. see the way in which the divisions were seeping down through uh, society. And it, it, you know, it was perhaps before social media got going at full speed. Um, I mean, it was a significant part of the debate back then. But you could see the way in which people fractured and people ended up in positions where they had to choose some side or the other. And uh, particularly with the Yes campaign, 
which was very well fought. It was a much better campaign on the ground. Uh, the, the Remain side had a very poor campaign on the ground and in the end uh, effectively won it with a whole variety of pledges and in some ways you could argue with one or two threats uh, thrown into the mix. But the Yes campaign, there was this uncomfortable note at the back of it that somehow you were a better human being if you agreed with the Yes campaign. And conversely, you, there was something unpleasant about you if you had the opposite view. And you could see that sort of debate and that style. That raises a flag for any debates we might have here, well, any similar point. debates we that, might have here. That, that's hmm. exactly my point. That, that you know, uh, whether somebody believes in X or Y, you know, you can have valid reasons for believing Whatever, it doesn't mean that there's something uh, necessarily... Because bad. the Scottish debate, fractious though it is, is not rooted in, in, in living memory of vicious sectarian violence as a constitutional debate in Northern Ireland would be. No, it's not. I mean, although, you know, depending on where you are uh, in, in, in the central belt, uh, particularly around Glasgow and elsewhere, um, uh, there's a, a strong element of sectarianism and you still see sure. it every July and whatever. So, uh, Does that map to Scottish nationalism and Scottish unionism? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in different ways, but uh, yeah, no, there's no. So, no. if you're a Celtic supporter, you're much more likely to vote yes. Yeah, pretty mm. much. Okay, pretty much. Um, pretty much. I mean, there'd be there'd be um, it wouldn't be by any manner of means a hundred percent or fully comprehensive, but it would be uh, it would be significant. Um, and uh, so, all of that ha- has changed. And now you look at the Scottish National Party, you know, having a really bad time at the moment, and they were the flag carrier for independence. So you could argue at one level that. That issue has disappeared and gone forever. But demography, both in Northern Ireland and in Scotland, uh, has an impact. There are 60,000 Scots dying every year, to be brutally frank about it. And the vast majority of those would be more likely, however grudging uh, in their view of it, would be more likely to be either uh, of a, a union bent or at least not willing to risk going the other direction and uh, then the people who are coming on or of a roughly equivalent number who are going on to the electoral roll in Scotland. And if you map that year after year, over a period of 10 or 15 years, you end up with a very different electorate. And who knows? Although uh, people become a little more conservative and more safety first as they get older as well. So that might ameliorate it, it to it some could. extent. It could. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm just saying that the possibility for change uh, doesn't disappear simply because the Scottish National Party is having a bad time in office, which it is, and probably one that's going to get worse. You know, these are going to be ebbs and flows and uh, it, it is a question that's going to come back on to uh, the agenda. And, you know, if you look at, uh, south of the border with uh, throughout GB and you look at the way in which uh, Brexit uh, developed and you see the way in which um, uh, opinion has fractured. Now, it, it's calmed down to some extent. There was a point, particularly around London, where your view about Brexit uh, dictated who you went to have a pint with on a Friday night after work. So it was a little bit like that splintering oh, you saw in like Scotland that. as well. Yeah, 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 very much like that. Yeah. Now, you know, that, that has, has eased to, to, to some extent. But nevertheless, mm. that sort of poison that it has left behind has been really, really... Uh, serious and you know if you if you look at our debate and I'm not arguing that a referendum is immediate or whatever but don't see that being the case in any shape or form but there's no doubt that there are issues of identity and compromise and change and everything else that all of us north and south of the border need to have a better understanding of inside our own head as mm. to what it is could happen and what sort of questions we could be asked about in the years uh, or decades ahead. There was a lot of talk at the height of um, the Brexit frenzy about the rise of 
so-called English nationalism and that Brexit was a was an expression first first and foremost uh, of that. I wonder, do you think that's a that's a real thing and that's a that's a continuing thing now? Because the, one of the reasons I ask is because um, y- you do get a sense, uh, and I think this is one of the things that drives unionist paranoia, um, that in in England in particular. There's no particular affection or grow for the union with uh, with Northern Ireland, or necess- not necessarily always with with, with Scotland either. Mm. And there might even be underlying that almost a sense of English exceptionalism or English unilateralism. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that what we're looking at now is a fractured union that's no longer based upon any degree of sentiment. And you know, to some extent, in any family, you need a certain degree of sentiment to keep the the wounds uh, covered, at least if not healed. Um, so, uh, and and you see the way in which certain elements of English uh, public debate are going. I mean, look at the Telegraph now. You know, I mean, one of the once upon a time one of the great newspapers of the world, and it's now become a, a ranting machine uh, with with the kind of pieces being published. Uh, you know, that that are frankly jaw dropping, and and the way in which social media and GB news and everything is about divide, 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 and that is becoming uh, the way in which you get audience. And if the, so, the public have choice to make about where they want to get uh, their information sources. If they want to go to a place where somebody is deliberately trying to make them angry the whole time, then that's your choice and live with the consequences. If, on the other hand, people want uh, to try and find sober places where reasonable people are trying to probe issues to which oftentimes there is no one empirically correct answer, because it depends on your, your viewpoint, and trying to put the various options and views before people so that the audience goes away with enough information to make whatever decision the audience wishes to make. In that case, I would humbly suggest that Common Ground wouldn't be a bad place for them to start. That sounds fair enough. Just a last question. I do wonder whether the, the series of crises which we've experienced over the last several years. And I'd include things like the election of Donald Trump in the United States and the rise of um, of right-wing populism and hard nationalism across, across Europe as well. Um, whether those crises have been a contributory factor to the salience of the constitutional debate in Ireland now, and if things I suppose calm down a little bit, as they seem to be doing around the issue of Brexit now. And if we have a if we have a change of government, that may 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 progress that a little bit. If if unity goes a little bit further off the agenda in the in the day to day lives of people, because in some senses, I'm sure some people listening to this will think it's quite a highfalutin thing that doesn't have to do with the day to day lives that ordinary people live. No, it it, it yeah. doesn't. But um, you know, the reality is uh, Lenin's old line about nothing happens for a century and then history happens in a week. There are circumstances where this issue could, at least in perception terms, look a lot closer. Uh, to arriving, even if it still is 20 years over on the other side of the horizon. And the closer it looks in perception, the closer, the the greater the influence it will have on today's politics and choices, as I mentioned earlier. And that, in many ways, uh, is the important thing. And this whole debate about the future has the potential to be Ireland's Brexit campaign in terms of the divisions and wounds that it could open, even if it doesn't happen. Which is the point, you know, that if people think something could happen, then that influences today. And, you know, we do have uh, a great deal of thinking to do. And, you know, one point that I would make is the role that the diaspora is going to play in all of this debate in the years to come is going to be huge. And I think far, far bigger than most people have realized. I spent time in the States last summer and it is perfectly clear that there are people coming from a strongly traditional Irish-American bent. I mean, 
lovely guys to give you the clothes off their back. Uh, but they have a certain view of history that I would see as being some, somewhat simplistic. But they are already thinking in terms of funding social media campaigning. All perfectly legit, all perfectly declared, nobody doing anything underhand, uh, which is going to be you know well-crafted and produced and all the rest of it. And it'll be coming with a Dorchester, South Boston uh, viewpoint, and it'll be read in Dingle and Dungiven. And we need to, to be conscious of the fact that if uh, this debate accelerates in any way, in, in purely in perception terms, and to emphasise, you know, the, the fact that we don't think it's happening anytime soon in reality, uh, if the, it, it does move in that sense, then that is going to impact on how uh, people think today. And you saw the debate last year about the, the wolf tones, and you saw the way in which many young people got really irritated at the idea of being, as they saw it, lectured by people of my age about, well, you lot don't remember the troubles and all of the rest of it. And and thank God that they don't uh, in many ways. Um, but, you know, ooh-ah up the ra and that sort of simplistic attitude isn't going to get us very far. And whatever people need to do, there's a far greater degree of knowledge uh, than most people currently possess if we're going to tackle the challenges uh, in the years and decades ahead. So the project's called Common Ground, and does that mean that we can find, for example, Irish Times readers can find all this material in a particular place on the website? Yes, it's it will have a, a, a branded iteration in print, so you'll see the, the logo in many times, but we are creating this tent um, for all of the material that we've done in the past and all of the material that we're going to do in the future that is, we'll look at north-south uh, relations defined as broadly as you can imagine, east-west uh, relations, GB issues, and, as I said, the, the role that the diaspora could bring to to, to bear because all of these things are going to be key elements to the way in which each of us are going to to be informed about the future and the way in which each of us uh, are going to look at the future, even if it is, as you say, uh, an issue that most people don't want to talk about and don't think about very often. Sooner or later, all of those kind of questions are going to become a more real and present uh, uh, effect in all of our lives. Sounds great and admirably ambitious as well. Mark Hennessy, thanks very much for joining us today. And that's it for today. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon. Our engineer is JJ Vernon. Enjoy the rest of your bank holiday. We'll be back very soon. Thanks for listening.